Welcome to Reset with Amber Lyon. This is the official podcast for Reset.me, where we introduce you to natural medicines and therapies and inspirational people who can help you just hit that reset button in life and give you ways to just improve your overall happiness. And I can't think of a better guest to have on now, speaking of happiness, than Mr. Preston Smiles. <laughs> Preston is a dear friend of mine and he's also literally one of the happiest people I know and I, I wanted to bring him here on the show today to talk about ways just little changes you can make in your life to increase your happiness and and really start following your passions because uh, something I always say to people is follow your passion and success will follow mm -hmm. uh, it's something I've always done in my career it's something you're obviously doing in your own life and, and I think you have a lot of amazing tips for our listeners today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm super pumped and happy to be here. And, you know, let's do this. All right. Let's so, get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Preston, you founded The Love Mob. Can you tell everyone a little bit about that? And I, I think it's a really fantastic way of activism by shining mm -hmm. light on the light, not just pointing at the dark and mm -hmm. really focusing on spreading more love. That's something we're definitely deficit of in our society. For sure. For sure. The Love Mob is organized acts of love. And our mission is to reconnect 3.6 billion people to the power of community. So we do that through different mobs, which sometimes looks like flash mobs, sometimes looks like um, group meditations, sometimes it looks like huge dinner parties and jazzy nights. And what we're doing is we're, in, we're, 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 we're making love as a lifestyle cool. So we're taking all of the awesome people from all over and, and bringing them together in the name of good, in the name of love, in the name of peace. And how do you think that people can get more love in their lives? I know we're just surrounded. We're, mm -hmm. we're living in a society, as Alan Watts calls it, that just glamorizes hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you turn on the TV, you see hate, fighting, guns, violence, yes. but rarely do you ever see acts of love. Yep. And in and, and such a society that glamorizes hate, how can you work to add more love to your life? Well, first of all, you have to recognize it. You, recognize that the other end of that coin which is all the same thing here's here's the thing that we all that we stand by and i stand by personally i know that 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 love and hate because i have been extreme versions of both are the same energy it's just how you use the energy so uh with the love mob which i am a co-founder of i have two other founders allison uh kunith and mustafa shakir um we we choose to become love's voice. So this shirt isn't just a shirt. This is, I, I am a representative of love's voice and you are a representative of love's voice. And for so long, as Alan Watts points out, and it's clear to see in our society, hate is speaking very loud. And now it's our turn to come together, to organize and to do as much as possible in the name of love. So we shift this thing because at the end of the day, and this is what, when I'm, when I'm coaching people, when I'm speaking, I was reminding them of this. Right now, as we speak, if there was an earthquake, if there was some huge natural disaster, all of the, the stories we have about each other would go right out the window. We would immediately become family. So, and, and a lot of times people wait and they get to the end of their life and they go, wow, I have all these millions and I have all these cars and all of these things, but I never really loved. I never really let someone love me. I never really went out on a limb and risked it, risked it all in order to gain it all. So the idea is to not wait until we're on our deathbed, but to do it now. 
to step up big and do it now. And I think so many people are, we, we just live in this delusional society where mm-hmm. people think that, as Jack Cornfield says, that, that you can just buy things and, and they're going to make you happy and that all these material objects will, will bring happiness in your life. Let's just get a new car. That's going to make me happy. But mm-hmm. when in reality, a new car is probably going to give you more anxiety because now you're worried about scratching the car. Mm-hmm. You're worried about someone hitting your car. You're worried about paying your insurance. Mm-hmm. You're worried about paying your car payment. And then next thing you know, this object that you delusionally thought would bring you happiness is bringing you anxiety. Indeed. And that comes from, and, and I, I've spoken about this before, I asked people to name the last toy they got when they were 11. And most people can't. And the toy and the Ferrari, the toy and the car, the toy and the anything will never produce lasting fulfillment, which is why you don't remember it. So we get high on these things. We get the new toy and we're happy about it. The new Ninja Turtle or the new, you know, BMW. And it fills us up for a second. And then it all goes back down. And that's because our happiness is being based on things externally instead of internally. So my practice is always go within. Go within or you go without. So meditation is one of the things that's a staple in my life, in my practice. And how often do you meditate? Twice a day for 20 minutes. And do you have any tips? Like what, how, how can you sit still for that long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I try because I've read all the studies on meditation and mm-hmm. how it actually transforms your brain chemistry and, and really makes you more intelligent, more able to love, mm-hmm. more able just to focus in life. But it's so hard to just sit down for those 20 minutes. Do you have any tips for our listeners? Work up to it. Small hinges swing big doors. So uh, for myself and most people, you do little chunks. So I started out with, I, I pull up, every morning I wake up and I pull up a three minute YouTube like uh, meditation track. And I'd say for three minutes, I'm just gonna sit here in silence and see what happens. And then that happened for like two weeks and I was like, you know what, I can do seven minutes, let's see. Went up to seven minutes and I was like, whoa, I'm starting to feel different. Let's try 10 minutes. And there's a track on YouTube for everything. Or you can just set a timer. Um, So I worked up to, I built the muscle. And that's the thing, whether you're working out or whatever you're doing, if you build up to it, Mm -hmm. then then you become a champion of it in a sense. You know, and that's what I did. And I highly suggest that because it's possible. It's possible to just never be a meditator and to sit down and like go within but it may be a little difficult for, for people in this society right now with all our technology and all this stuff being thrown at us. And there's just so much noise all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I even notice myself when I try to meditate. I'm just like, okay, how to get rid of the noise? And what, what helped me quite a bit was transcendental mm-hmm. meditation. I, I highly recommend people look that up, try to find a course near you. Uh, that, that was really effective at, for me personally just for kind of quieting, quieting that mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do transcendental as well. But before that, like for a year straight, I did whatever happened. And, and then I went and took a Transcendental Meditation class and, and um, learned some, some technique around it. But the bottom line is you don't need a class. If you sit still, and that's, that's one of the biggest issues in our society, period. If, you, if anybody just implements this one thing, it'll change the game. And that is to be still. We're so quick to react. We're so quick to hit back when someone hits us. We're so quick to, to, to name a thing. 
So one of the one of the biggest keys to my personal happiness has been taking a breath and just being still for a second before I make a decision on what that is or isn't or how I feel about the slap, you know? Like Byron Katie says, every all pain is in the past. And a lot of people see that it's not in the past, but in reality, if you were to punch me right now, when I recognize the punch, the punch would be in the past. So everything after that would be my choice about what that meant to me. So, oh, Amber punched me, now I'm in pain. And then I create suffering around that thing. So uh, I know it's an interesting concept and I would never want you to punch me, but uh, <laughs> you understand. You don't have to worry about that, President. <laughs> no, I see you. You've got those guns over I there. I got some guns. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, Really find your personal story fascinating because everyone has a past. Mm-hmm. And and I always say, okay, I, I had really rocky areas in my past as well, but they led me to where I was today. And right. I wouldn't change it for, for anything in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and you've definitely had a unique path. Like you were saying, you've seen the dark and now you're seeing the light. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you grew up? What, what led you eventually now to the love mob? Mm, yeah, so I am the last year of what they call millennials. So in reality, I know there is no such thing, that, that there is only love and, and that I'm just vibration in the space and that I'm an ageless, deathless, changeless being made in the spiritual image and likeness of God. I know that. I know that. I don't believe it. I know that. But based on societal terms, I am the last year of millennials, um, which meant right when I was at the ripe age gangster rap and, and super violent movies and super violent uh, TV shows and video games and everything got introduced. You know, uh, years before, like my sister, is, uh, she's 36. And, and when she was growing up, there wasn't all of that technology, right? But I was like right at the edge. And I was at a point when things really changed. And what basically happened was, was the school system didn't know how to diagnose me because I didn't learn like everyone else did. Neither did I. Uh-huh. So they put <laughs> Spent me, many time kicked out of class and yelled at by my teachers just for being me. So. Yeah. Very much so. So they ended up putting me in uh, special education classes and not really explaining to me what that was. And what they didn't understand was that I was dys- dyslexic. and But instead, they put me in a class with, you know, actually mentally ill kids and there was only like four of them and and myself and I made a decision about who I was based on that that I was not worthy to be in school to be in class with my with my fellow classmates that I was stupid that I was less than that I was dumb so my nine-year-old paradigm decided that if I wasn't going to be good in school if I was a dummy then I was going to be really good at sports. I was going to be really good at fighting. I was going to be really good at all those things that, that sort of count during that time. So I had this interesting dance happening the whole time because I was extremely praised for who I was in sports. And, and, and um, I grew up in a family that had everything and then lost it all. And, and drugs and alcohol and all of those things were involved. So I had everything, and then I saw it all get taken away. And there was a particular point, and I'm fast-forwarding now, um, 
when I was 15, where some friends of mine came over and they were coming over in the blue Astro van and we were going to go do runouts, which there's different names for that. I think you call it beer runs in different places, mm-hmm. but we would basically run into a store, take all the alcohol and run back out. And we we're going to do that one night. And my friends came over, Scott and Rudy, Emmanuel, and a bunch of other kids in this blue Astro van. And they came to pick me up. And for some reason, this was my first understanding of intuition. For some reason, it was a no. And they were like, oh, you're going to be a... And I'm like, yeah, I think I am today. Like, I'm, I'm not going to go there. They made fun of me a little bit. And they were like, all right, cool, we're out. Within an hour, everybody in that car was shot. And my best friend, Scott, was shot in the face and died immediately. And that was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm being saved. There's something happening here. I don't know what it is because I don't have the, the, you know, I didn't have the same vernacular that I do now. um, But I knew something was up. And that hit me so hard that I asked my dad could I move out of the state? Because at that time I was in what most would consider a gang and doing, I got kicked out of four different high schools by that point and went to three different junior high schools. So fast forwarding from the nine year old who believes he's stupid to, you know, the introduction of gangster rap and, and the Terminator 2 and all of these crazy stuff. So were you actually in a gang? Uh-huh. At the, mm-hmm. I was, I was. And at that point, I realized that, that there was more. And my dad did something really smart when I was very young. He caught me smoking weed with my friends, and he pulled me aside, and he said, I have no problem with, with marijuana. Um, it's from the earth. I smoke it. Your uncle smoke it. But I want you to do something. This is an 11-year-old he's talking to. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, and I want you to answer now. I want you to come back and talk to me tomorrow. But I want you to take a look at everybody's life who does that. And if you want that for yourself, then keep doing it. But if you don't want that for yourself, then as a leader, I would, I would beg you to stop. And he gave me the decision. And literally, that changed everything for me because it, it, it put me in a position where I felt like, okay, yes, I'm in a gang, but there's more. Yes, I, I do these things, but there's more. And he would talk to me in a certain way. And from there... When that happened to, to uh, Scott, when he died, I got scared. I got scared and I asked to leave and he made a few calls and two weeks later I was on a plane to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania where I went to North Allegheny High School, which was um, 99.99% Caucasian. There was one Asian kid, one black kid. And like, it was a total like shocker for me but not in the way in which you think it would. So I went, I went from a school where there was no books, where there was violence all the time, where they didn't care about us, where everything was jacked up, to this school that was the seventh richest high school in America. And it was completely white, and all these kids were ridiculously well off. And what I learned there, I still implement now. And that is that there is no difference. The, the same music that I was listening to in LA they were listening to in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The same movies I was watching out there, they were watching there. And, and I realized that it wasn't a white or black thing or a Christian or Muslim thing or any of the other labels we can put on it. We were under a system. And at that point I was like, oh, I've been bamboozled. 
I've been tricked. And I, I was telling my girlfriend this the other day. At, at, at Carson, I would litter. I would treat, the, I would spit on the carpets. I would do all kinds of crazy stuff. I would try to set things on fire. Same kid, same energy, goes to this other school where everything is pristine and taken care of and they have booster club and all of these things. And I, I would, wouldn't dare drop a thing on the ground. So that, that told me that it wasn't the kid, it was the environment that was mm -hmm. set up. They set up an environment where, where, where this is beautiful, this is how we take care of things. And the kids acted accordingly. So if you, give, if, you, if you decide not to put any money in this school district because you know this school district has chocolate people in it, then the school is going to look a certain way, then the kids are going to act a certain way, and the cycle continues. So to make a long story short, I realized within that process that I had been tricked, that, that my friends and I and all of the stuff we had went through was not actually us. We were having an identity crisis. And me frying my hair and asking my mom, could I have blue uh, contacts in my eyes? And all of that stuff was a form of self-hatred based on what the media was feeding us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was on. And so how did, you, how did you start getting into doing the love mob activities and mm. really spreading love into society? Because I think it's so easy, and I did this for 10 years of my career, mm -hmm. to just focus on the negative yep. and what's not working, mm -hmm. old paradigms. And, and I really am a firm believer now that rather than pointing your finger at the old and what's not working, mm -hmm. why not just create new systems, new paradigms, new mm -hmm. ways of doing things? Exactly. Um, it, it's just too difficult. <laughs> I tried for 10 years and and it never worked. I, I kept getting swallowed in, in my work and swallowed in this darkness of, of negativity because it was so difficult to even make a dent in the madness. Mm -hmm. And something I've just been shown um, over the past couple years through meditation, through use of plant medicines has been that people need to heal at the individual level. We need to collectively heal yes. all this trauma and pain and we'll see dramatic transformation as a whole in society. Big time. And so, so what was it for you that kind of sparked your idea to, to create the love mob and try to promote more love? Mm. Yeah, similar story. I, I went to college and I, was, I went to Louisiana State University and I went there at a time when George Bush was running for president and also in my like rage of, of like questioning everything became super political, super anti-government, super anti-everything, conspiracy theory, like the whole thing, right? And, and I got out of school still with that anger, still with that pain, still with all of that stuff, carrying all of it. Why am I a Christian? Why do I speak this language? Ah, it's all, you know, like the whole thing. I was carrying the whole load. And I got to LA and within two months, I started feeling this, this weird uh, palpitations in my heart. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of weird, but maybe I should check it out, maybe I won't. I went another two months. I was like, okay, this is, I probably shouldn't mess around with the heart. I went to my doctor, did some blood work. She said, you need to go to a cardiologist immediately. I'm like, what? But I'm only in my early 20s. What are you <laughs> saying to me? So I go, and, and he, uh, they attach this machine to me, and they monitor my heart for... A couple days and I come back and he says, listen, we don't really know how to explain what's happening to you, but here's some pills. You'll take these for the rest of your life. And how do you eat and how are your stress levels? And I went, what do you mean? 
I said, what do you, I was just like, well, I eat McDonald's, I eat Burger King, I eat chicken, I eat steak, I drink Pepsi, and I just explained all the stuff that I was doing. And he was like, how long have you been doing that? I'm like, my whole life. He's like, okay, you're probably going to need to change that. That was the first like, bing, what? What I put in affects how I actually feel? That's crazy, right? It's, it's common sense now, but, but for me at that time, I'd never heard any of it. It's still not common sense for everyone. Truth, truth. <laughs> We're still trying to spread that message, you know? And the second thing was, how are your stress levels? And I was like, what do you mean? I didn't understand what he was asking me. And right at that time, the secret came out. And um, I watched it, and my ex-girlfriend's godmom said, hey, I heard you're having some issues with your heart. I got this book, Asking It Is Given, by just Jerry and Esther Hicks. If you, you know, read, here's one. And I'm like, uh, I don't really read, but I'll try it. Between those two things, I exploded. And I realized, once again, that I had been feeling all of that pain, all of that anger, all of that stuff was, was being channeled through me. And that I couldn't really create lasting change if I was the anger that I was speaking to. You know, if I was the fear, if I was the pain, if I was the, the aggression that, that, as Einstein says, no problem can be solved at the level of consciousness in which it was created. And I was fighting fire with fire over and over again. So fast forward to years later in all of this work, I was sitting with some friends and we're like, we've been talking a lot about what needs to happen. And was like, you know what? We get to do it and put myself in a position where I couldn't back out. I made a Facebook page and an event, and I put a date on it, and I said, on that day, we're going to hit the streets. On that day, we're going we're gonna to treat it like it's 1968 again, and we're going to get out there, and we're going to celebrate in the name of love. And I just love this concept. As someone who, I, I spent a year covering protests around the U.S., uh-huh. and when I heard of the love mob, I was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> because when you come out angry at a protest, right away you're, you're just surrounded. And I saw it and witnessed it uh, mm-hmm. by police dressed in military uniforms like they're going to Afghanistan and with um, less lethal weapons they're firing into crowds, tear gas. Yeah. And, and no matter what, it was like fighting fire with fire. The police felt the anger, so they felt like they needed a heavy hand. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, what did the protesters accomplish besides many of them getting arrested, shot at, or crushed <laughs> You know, literally yeah. by police batons. And and so I kept getting frustrated as a journalist seeing constant protests and, and movements just getting crushed and becoming nothing. And and what I think is so brilliant about the love mob and going out and just spreading love is that it it's it can't be met with a heavy hand. It can't be. <laughs> what are they gonna do? Say you guys are, are spreading love Stop and singing loving. on guitars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's so necessary, mm-hmm. and, and it's such a, a simple message, but so profound. Mm-hmm. Just love. Just join with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to the news anymore. The news is trying to yeah. divide you. Exactly. The news wants us all, and I, I worked in the business for so long, literally to, to fear one another, fear our neighbors, mm-hmm. not unite. And if we're just simply able to shift this paradigm into one of love and community, then we're going to see dramatic transformation mm-hmm. as a whole. Totally. Because, I mean, those who are, who are in power and corrupt want you to think that you can't grow food in your backyard, mm-hmm. that you can't um, trust your neighbor, you can't barter for things, exactly. you know, not using money. Yeah. We, the, the thing about it is, is it, it's, it's our duty. If you, if you 
have the vision past your eyesight to see what's real. If you can see what's real without eyes, then it's your duty to do what we're doing. And, and what I understand is that if I just take care of my consciousness, if I, if I lift what I can, i.e. the love mob, and uh, let's say an Amber Lion lifts what she can, i.e. reset, and everybody does their parts, then we're taken care of. So the love mob was birthed out of an understanding that this is what we can do. We bring people together. I have been doing love mobs in my house and, <laughs> and at parks and things like that before we called it the love mob. And it's back to the, that, the, that one principle, which is at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you will not care how many cars you had. You won't. You won't care about anything other than if you loved or let love. And, and when people get together, and it usually happens through disaster, like 9-11. 9-11 happened, and it was a disaster, but at the same time, it was so beautiful to see how, how, how society as a whole like, came together. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to do that before any of that happens. And so for, for people out there who are going down, I notice a lot of people are waking up mm -hmm. I mean, one by one. And it's really easy to spend the majority of your time just going down that rabbit hole. And I did that for a while, and it mm -hmm. caused me tremendous anxiety and anger, mm -hmm. just like you said it did you as well. And some people can't quite understand my career shift now, <laughs> now that I'm talking about love like, and what? unity and healing. And they're like, we yeah. have government stuff you need to expose. Yeah, what are you exactly. doing? What's all this talks about plant medicine? And, mm -hmm. and I just realized after some time it was harming my own health and my ability to make change in this world. Big time. And it's, it's dangerous to your soul to do that. Once you realize the basics and, and what you've been lied to about, there's no need to really continue to go down that hole. I mm -hmm. think time is better spent shifting it now towards solutions and, and solutions that are empowering. It's so easy to completely transform your life at the individual level. You yep. have the power in so many ways. You can pick what food you buy. You can grow food in your backyard. Mm -hmm. You can choose to use plant medicines if you want for healing instead of prescription medications. Exactly. And, um, and people have so much power at the individual level. And if we all can just improve our lives, follow our passions, heal at the individual level, collectively we will see a dramatic change. For sure. If people are happy, they can't, they're not going to be working corrupt jobs. They're mm -hmm. not going to be working for oil companies. They're not going to be screwing over their neighbor and they're not mm -hmm. going to be committing violent acts. That is huge. And th this is the one thing, and I know people have a hard time with this, but I personally choose to, to look at it this way. Everything in my reality, I caused or I allowed. So for me, at this point in my evolution, there is no other. If there's a school shooting, it's me. Not personally, I didn't pull the trigger, but anything I do that, that, that uh, feeds that machine is a part of that. Because it's one collective consciousness, as they call it, the oversoul. Right? So everything we're experiencing is, is based on our choices. I know that this computer in front of me, I know that the minerals that, are, that, that were used, that were mined to make this computer, happened in the Congo, on the backs of people, slaves, of people dying today. I know that. I'm consciously choosing it to use it as a tool. 
right? And that's, for me, is everything. I get my freedom back when I, when I stop pointing the finger at anybody else other than myself. So uh, on an individual level, the best thing anybody could do to change this world is to clean up their own consciousness, to go in the attic, go to the ugly places, pull out that stuff that nobody wants to talk about, face your fears, talk to your mom, have, have the conversations, the difficult ones. You do that, then you turn your light on. And when your light is on, when you, when you fill your cup, then you can give from the overflow. And that's the idea, is to like clean this thing up. Like people see me and they're like, you're always so happy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I, I am now. Yeah. You know, but I'm choosing to, I'm happy because I, I go after the ugly stuff. Mm -hmm. I dig deep. I look at the stuff and, and I say that everything is me. There's nothing outside of me. So if, if dis-ease comes through my body, it's not the pharmaceutical companies. It's not anything other than myself because I get to choose at the end of the day. And we all have a choice. And I think because so many people are carrying around so much anger, that's why they're attracted to mm -hmm. going down the rabbit hole all day. It just feeds the madness. Big time. Instead of actually then having to shine the light into your own soul and see what's, what's keeping you from moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I, I think so many people are carrying... <clears throat> bottled up trauma. Oh yeah. They, they've just completely lost ways to process it. And that's what happened to me uh, when I started getting symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorders. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have any way to, to process these memories and this trauma. Mm -hmm. Do you have recommendations just in your own life and your own transformation of, of different uh, therapies or actions people can take to start revisiting some of those memories, to start processing some of those emotions? Yeah, uh, I would say slow down. The biggest thing you could ever do is to slow down to speed up. Right now we're going so fast. We're going so fast and there's so much being thrown at us that, that, that we're not paying attention to, to the, the, the smallest things. You know, um, a lot of times, and I'll, I'll find myself doing this as well, you know, there's your neighbor, but you're looking way down the street. Or uh, the example I give is, you know, to be actually present with what's there because if you're present then you'll heal it all because you can't hide from it it's there so um, a lot of people will be eating their broccoli while thinking about the cheesecake which is not honoring the block the broccoli so my thing is be with the broccoli whatever comes up I'm with it if anger comes up, I'm with it. I don't try to suppress it. I don't try to pretend like jolly Preston all the time. I'm with it. And I go, what's under that? One of the biggest things you could do is question everything. And not from the, the, um, the cynical side, but ask questions like, what is my sight not allowing me to see? What, what, what good is here that I presently cannot see? What would love do now? You know, understanding that that we're either operating out of love or out of fear. The thing comes up and you have a choice. I operate from my old paradigm or I ask the question, what would love do now? Well, ego would slap them back. Ego would say, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you back. But love would slow down. Love would have a conversation. Love would ask, what's under that? Because the issue's never the issue. If I'm yelling at you about picking up your socks in the bathroom, it's really not about the socks. It's more than likely about how you haven't been paying attention to me or something of that nature, you know? 
And, and, and we can find that all over our lives. Or even people who have addictions. It's never just about the addiction or no. craving the alcohol. It's usually because they're trying to mask some kind of yes. trauma that they're carrying around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so many people out there are, are looking for ways to just heal, to, to mm-hmm. purge this anger. And I, I think a lot of people, their discomfort comes because they're in careers that don't make them happy. Yes. I mean, they're just working. I'm sure people listening right now are, are sitting at their nine to five <laughs> job. And I don't know how I've been so lucky. I always say that's the most horrific thing I can imagine. People are say, what, what do you fear? And that's what I fear. A cubicle. <laughs> a cubicle. In an office. I get it. I, I have lived it. out of my car uh-huh. because I did not, I could not go the cubicle route. Um, and I always just trusted in the universe. And I've made some really what normal people would think are, are wacko, mm-hmm. blind faith decisions but it's always worked out Indeed. because I've always followed my passion, which is journalism, which is communication, trying to help others. Mm-hmm. And I never, I never sold out. Indeed. And it always has just worked out, even at a point where I thought I had no money left. And, and then someone swooped in and said, I want to give you a book deal out of nowhere. It's just like the universe works in magical ways. Yes. So for people who are sitting in the nine to five cubicle and who, who feel like they're, they're living a life of serfdom yes. and, and aren't following their passions, do you have any like baby steps that you recommend they yes. could take to start leading toward their ultimate career and ultimate life? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing would be is, is to be strategical, like, like actually plan out. And, and how you get to that point is to ask yourself, if all of this went away, if all of this went away, what would I do? What would I do? What would I be every day? If, if, if this wasn't the case, if society wasn't set up like this, how would I serve? What fills me up? And if, if the answer is something like, oh, well, I would, you know, teach ballroom dancing or something like that, but oh, I could never do that because I wouldn't make as much money as I do in the cubicle, right? And it becomes about that thing. I would say, become strategic. Meaning, and, and I had to do this for, do this for myself um, because I was in an in a acting career and I had put so much behind it that I felt trapped by it. I'm like, well, I'm 10 years in now. I can't walk away from Hollywood. And I said, okay, what I can do is switch the energies. So what I started doing was, I would do 80% transformational work and 20% acting. And I just kept switching it more and more. I started at 50-50. I started at 90% acting, 10% transformation work. So just putting your your passion, slowly putting it, adding it back back into your life. Small hinges swing big doors. You do little things daily. You'll turn around and you'll go, wait a minute, I have a plan. And I can execute this. Wait a minute, I'm having fun in life. And, and the thing is, is people don't necessarily have to leave their job as long as they have found, found a way to tap into that thing that makes their hearts shine. And, and that's going to come from being strategic about how you're using your time. Because time is the big one here. A lot of people get so caught up in in these screens and they go from working on their box to checking their box to walking in their box and all of that stuff and and they get caught up in in that routine and miss what actually is fun because that's what this life is about this life is about fun it's about experience i believe that the soul wants to know everything 
the profane and the profound. It wants to know the entire thing and that we all have an individualized curriculum. So my snowflake, you could never, Amber Lyon, you could never be my snowflake. You could never do me, just like I could never do you. And I have a job on this planet. It, it may just be taking care of a garden, you know, my community garden, which is huge. It may be taking care of my child, which is huge. But like once you figure that out, once you figure what, 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 what makes your heart light up when you even think about it, then you start edging away at that and finding ways to do that more often. And then if, it's, if the idea is, hey, I want to actually stop working at this place and I want to do what, what, what makes my heart smile, once again, set up for it. A lot of people are like, just jump and the, and the, you know, the step will appear. Well, yes, but don't be stupid. Yeah, you know? of course. I mean, like, if you have a mortgage and a exactly, family of four, you can't just leave. But maybe, like you're saying, when you come home from work, spend your time rather than surfing Facebook, setting up your new career path. Exactly. And, slowly, and slowly you'll be able to do it more and more. And I think something you mentioned is a valid concern for a lot of people when they hold this fear to follow their dreams that's what they think. Oh, well, I'll never make money exactly. teaching ballroom dancing. And, and I remember my mom saying that to me. You'll never make money as a journalist, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I just always knew just it's the only thing I like to do. I, I have to do it. Somehow yes. the universe will fall into place. And if you're doing something you're passionate about, you're going to be better at it than 90% of the people. Sure. So who knows? You might open the most successful ballroom dancing mm -hmm. studio in L.A., or, or you start having a ballroom dancing channel on YouTube that exactly. has 100,000. Passion is infectious. People feel it. Mm -hmm. So if people know you're passionate about what you do, they're attracted to you. Mm -hmm. And and that would could be customers. That could be money. That could be just happiness in general. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and this is the thing, I, I, I talk to people about this in relationships. And I say that, you know, f for instance, I have a beautiful girlfriend who I will probably marry. And... But the two and the three, so she's the one, right? I, I met the one. <laughs> but the two and the three were just as important. Yeah. And sometimes the thing that gets you out of the job, like you may think that you're stepping out for ballroom, but ballroom leads you to meeting, uh, you know, this particular business person who says, oh, I have this venture. And next thing you know, you find yourself in, in Antarctica, you know, doing some crazy adventure but the only way you could have gotten there was by choosing to go do ballroom you see what i'm saying mm -hmm. so like all the, my exes all of the different women who i dated throughout this time were just as important as the one because it was a setup for that mm -hmm. you know i'm so thankful i'm so thankful that those relationships worked out in the sense that they didn't work out and that i was able to go oh i see that was a setup for that that was a setup for that i learned patience there I figured out how to really love me there. I figured out how to walk away from something even though it's comfortable there. And now here I am loving the crap out of me and boom, my, my, my one appears, you know? And, and that can be placed, that system can be placed all over. It's so beautiful how you think, your train of thought. I mean, it just shows why you are so successful because instead of looking back at past quote-unquote failures or things that didn't necessarily go right. Obviously, you're not in those relationships anymore. You're valuing what you learned mm -hmm. from, from the mistakes. And, and that's such a key 
element, a common denominator for successful people is, mm -hmm. is not to look at poor me, look at all of this that happened in my life, but what did I learn from that? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's so, so key. It's huge. It's so huge. And, and it happens every single day. We have an opportunity every single day. And I always tell my, my, my clients, out of my greatest rejection came my greatest direction. And, and a lot of times, you know, what we, what we call failure is, is the setup, is the, the perfect setup. Every time, and, and I know people say this all the time, and they speak about, um, what's his name, who created the light bulb, Edison, mm. about how he said he didn't fail 1,500 times or whatever. He found 1,500 ways that didn't, you know, work, essentially. Yeah. That's how I actually view my life. I, I don't believe there are mistakes at all. I believe that this is a perfect universe, but it must be mentally seen and spiritually experienced in order for it to show up in our experience. And, and that's going to come from, from, from walking out on the skinny branches to get the good fruit, you know? There's a risk involved in trying to get that apple that's way out there on the edge. And my falls have always been perfect. I've always figured out, and I don't even fall this far anymore because of that. Because I'm choosing to actually live. That's what it's about. Everybody's trapped in these little things, including my mother. She's gotten to this point where she's like, wait a minute, I just worked 45 years. For what? I just did all of this to get this little tiny retirement. And I worked a job I was never happy at. For someone else, making for money someone for someone else. else. Trapped in the system, playing the game. But what I remind her is, is that as long as there is breath in her body, the game is still on. So who is she going to choose to be now? Where are you at in that now? How are you responsible now for that? So yes, you still clock in and you're about to retire, but like, can you find your, your bliss in that? Can you light up that job? Can you walk in there and make it fun for you? Can you laugh at the way your boss's eyebrows, you know, arch up when he <laughs> speaks to you about the TPS reports or whatever that stuff is, you know? Like, how do you do that? I challenge everybody right now, if you are working at a job that you do not like, to go in there tomorrow and find things funny. Just be tickled by it. Do your job, still work hard, but choose to find stuff amusing. Watch what happens. <laughs> like literally, it's the most amazing thing when we choose to pay attention and be present to the small things and be tickled by it. Or allow ourselves to be in vulnerable enough to feel whatever is happening, you know? Everybody who we respect, everybody who we love, all of these stories, is the reason why we go to the movies all the time, when, when actors choose to go there, even though we know it's fake, it's not fake, which is what induces the tears in us. Our mirror neurons fire off because we know that's real. We know it's real. They're feeling that, and therefore we feel it. So... Um, I don't even know where I'm going with this one, but it's just yeah, beautiful. We're, we're I'm on. sitting back. I'm like, all right, I need to find something funny in tomorrow's podcast. <laughs> it's <now."> fun. It's <laughs> fun. And and I think too, uh, some people, you know, say you're laid off from your job mm -hmm. or um, something goes drastically wrong in your life. Sometimes the more intense the situation is, the more that's the universe saying, "Hey, buddy, yes, listen up. That job is never right for you. Mm. What you're doing is not following your true path." And so I'm literally going to knock you on your ass. Yep. <laughs> so the only way you can get back up is to follow your passion. That's it. That's huge. And that causes so many people, I think so many people are depressed and anxious just because their soul knows 
they're not on the right path exactly. in life. And that causes a ton of resistance. And, mm -hmm. and every time I know I'm making a bad decision, I know I'm doing that because I start to feel like anxious or, mm -hmm. or things just don't feel right. And it's, it's my inner me saying, honey, you're going down the wrong path. Exactly. <laughs> you need to turn around or, or slow down and figure out what yep. to do next. Your higher self. The, I, the universe is responding to our innermost thoughts. So no matter what we say on the outside, no matter what my words say, if I don't actually truly believe that I deserve that, then it will not come into fruition. But on the, on the other end, and, and you know, scientifically they've proven that, that uh, affirmative thoughts have more power. When, you, when you're calling for something, you know, I, I tell my friends this who are getting to that point, we're like, well, you know, I'm 32 and I haven't found a man yet. And, <laughs> and they have these, these conversations about how, you know, it won't happen. And I'm like, yes, because the universe is responding to that. But if you really get in the space, if you really get in the space of, of, of opportunity, of, of being a beacon for, for all that is right for your life, and you say, guide me, then that's exactly what you're going to get. And, and I have found so many times where the universe, God, whatever you like to call it, was moving before me. And it was moving based on something that I had called in months prior and hadn't, and hadn't thought about it again. I would, I, would, I would, you know, say something to the effect of, in my heart of hearts, like, I just want to travel. I just want to get out. I want to adventure. And then forget about it go off in my day-to-day, -day, and from that point, the universe ha was conspiring to set it up where I would go into a coffee shop, meet this certain person, that certain person would follow me on Facebook, they would send me a message, that message would lead me to this, and then I would end up at Camp Grounded, or that I would end up at, you know, in the Redwoods on an adventure, and it happens over and over and over again, and the thing is, is just to surrender to the magic. Exactly. It's such a beautiful, such a simple concept. Mm -hmm. But if you fight back and you're anxious and you're always trying to control everything, it's going to drive you insane mm -hmm. because the universe already has your plan laid mm. out. I've learned that because I'm so impatient, Preston, and I, <laughs> I've learned it the hard way many times. Anytime I try to fight back or I think, well, this didn't happen. I need to mm -hmm. go back and get this person to come back in my life mm -hmm. or, or this opportunity and fight back and it never works out. Yep. So I've I've learned like you have just to completely surrender and mm -hmm. it's so hard for people to do. But once you do, you really realize the magic of the universe mm -hmm. and that your course in life is being planned out, has been planned out and, mm -hmm. and just go with the flow. It's, it's such a simple thought. <laughs> so simple, but definitely not as easy to implement after years and years of doing it the other way. But the awesome part is, is that you actually can. You actually can. And just like if I were to pick up a rock and do like this over and over again, right, for a week, eventually this bicep would get bigger and bigger and stronger. And then I would move on to something else. So when it comes to surrender, practice it in the, in the, in the, in the micro. Practice it when it comes to um, missing Game of Thrones or something like that. Just so you know, I surrender. I'm not supposed to be watching the championship. I'm supposed to be in the Redwoods. I'm not supposed, you know, just be with it. That's a great train of thought is just to think if something doesn't happen, that's my new train of thought. It wasn't meant to be. Mm -hmm.
instead of fighting, I'm just like, oh, well, it wasn't meant to be. They didn't come over or I didn't make it to that event. Exactly. And it's so liberating because mm-hmm. it's just like, ah, oh, it yeah. wasn't meant to be. Rolls right <laughs> off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's the issue. A lot of people are carrying so much baggage. They don't realize it. I was just shooting uh, for a job and the girl was talking about how um, her ex-boyfriend mentioned how her uh, her ex her boyfriend mentioned that him and his ex would go to uh, these particular like um, nude baths or something like that, and she was like, "Oh!" And I was just like so upset that he even brought her up, and I'm like, "So was, was that him or was that you?" <laughs> well, it was him because he brought it up, and I'm like, "Okay, but like, listen to what I'm saying. Is that him or is that you?" Because that. You feeling insecure about him even speaking about somebody who he loved for seven years is your insecurities. And you can have a conversation with your boyfriend and let him know where you are in your insecurities. But to tell somebody or to be upset with someone because they speak about somebody who they loved for a long time, love doesn't go anywhere. It transmutes. It doesn't go anywhere. So in, in terms of that, I'm like, really? You get to own that. She's bringing her baggage into the relationship. And let's say, hopefully not, he decides, you know what, I can't deal. Then she gets justified once again in her thinking that, that all men are this. But in reality, she brought her bags into the relationship and he couldn't get to her heart because she had all these things in her hand, you know? And I think so many people don't realize like you aren't your any of your feelings you have are caused by you. Not no one else can make you feel anything. Mm-hmm. It is one hundred percent what's going on in your mind. Yep. And something fascinating too about you, Preston, is you you do meditation, yeah, you do yoga, you do other activities to really help you just be happier in life, follow your true path. But you also have said that plant medicines have mm-hmm. helped guide you. Indeed. And and I think this is fascinating too, because I normally talk about how plant medicines heal the sick, mm-hmm. but they're also very beneficial for almost everybody. <laughs> yeah, they're beneficial for everybody, period. It's the same, like, I, and people have spoken to me like, oh, so you do drugs. I'm like, I don't do drugs. I don't do drugs. I connect with Mother Earth. That's what I do. And I use it the same way I use a salad. If I go and order an a, a all-hell-kale salad from Veggie Grill, whatever the hell I order it from, I'm looking for a result based out of that salad. I'm gonna take earth, I'm gonna take life, and I'm gonna put it in me, and what's gonna come out is life, more energy, more vitality. So if I go to the jungle and I drink some, some uh, ayahuasca that is from the earth, and, and that stretches my consciousness, then I feel like that's my job to do that. And I've spoken to through and as the medicine and it's basically told me you don't need this for sure what this is is a setup we're just showing you and eventually and just like the breatharians and all the people who don't drink eat or do anything we'll get to a point in this in our society and that's my like my personal mission is to Mm -hmm. raise the bar for humanity to be one of the first people to fly to levitate like i want to go there i will go there but in order to do that I experiment with beautiful things that come from the earth. I experiment with life. And one of those things is ayahuasca. And ayahuasca is like, is a game changer for me. 
the second time I drank ayahuasca, alcohol, marijuana, and I went celibate for damn near six months after that. Cleaned me right up. We had a conversation. And it wasn't in resistance. It said, you're done. That was two years ago. Since then, I've only had sex. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. We're yes. glad you didn't abstain from everything, Preston. Um, having sex. And I think with all the propaganda we've been fed since the 1970s about a lot of these substances, especially psychoactive plants, people forget that simple thing, what you're saying. It, it's Mother Nature. Boom. It is a plant mm -hmm. that grows profusely in nature or mm -hmm. a, a fungi that grows on, on cow shit, yeah. <laughs> you know? But no matter what, it's it's nature. This mm -hmm. this is something that nature provided us, tools that have been provided to humanity to help expand our consciousness, to help connect us with Earth mm -hmm. so we know when we're harming Earth and harming our own home. And, and we've just completely taken these tools people have used for thousands of years and removed them from Western mm -hmm. society. And then we wonder why everything has gone mad. Well, because we've lost our connection to nature. We've lost our ability to purge yep. trauma. We've lost the intense insights you're given on these medicines and how to improve your life and follow your path. Indeed. And ayahuasca has been really transformative for me as it has for you, as you were saying. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about one of your most profound ayahuasca experiences and, and what you mm -hmm. learned? Because I think it's really important for people to know these medicines aren't just for people who are, are sick. They can help everyone with, with just guidance and, and insights. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, <laughs> if you can narrow it down, it's hard enough to even describe one yeah. experience, but just something that really made an impact on your life and, and transformed yeah. your direction. Well, let's just say this. I've had some of the most beautiful, like heart opening, magical, magical, most like, like blown away experiences with that plant medicine. And I've also had some where I was torn to pieces. And those are the ones that I'm most thankful for. So one particular uh, ceremony, which was my very first ceremony, which is awesome that this happened out the gate. And, then, and people are like, you went back again after that? And I'm like, <laughs> I did. Um, drink the, the, the medicine and, and was in an experience. I got shot into the astral plane and then shot back down, and then I was a, a wolf with red eyes watching myself. Um, and then all of a sudden, I was back, and every lie I had ever told kept coming into my consciousness. And I had to heal each one of them. It just kept coming up. And I'd like, try to take my mind somewhere else, and foof, again, foof, again, foof, over and over and over again, until I dealt with each one of those lies. And while it was um, uncomfortable to face me in that, in that moment, in that time frame, when I was done, I could have, I, I felt like I was floating on a cloud. I felt like I had my life back. I felt so clean, so clear. I felt like my channel was 100% clear. I didn't purge. Not everybody purged. That's another thing. It's a misconception that everyone's just throwing up all over the place. I, I haven't purged. I don't purge. Um, not in that way. I yawn. I fart. Think, you know, but <laughs> yeah. like, um, but when I left that ceremony, I knew that that was a gift. I knew it was a gift and I felt so light and I was able to go 
and speak to some of my family and some of my friends about that and say, hey, I realized that I was out of integrity with my word and, and I faced them in a different way. It was almost as if my fear was removed. And for that, I'm forever thankful, and which is why I went back a second time. And that second time, it was pure bliss the entire time. I was a Native American hunting buffalo in the bushes for hours. I was like all over the place and sacred geometry everywhere. And it was absolutely beautiful. And I am 100% thankful for that gift that God has given us um, in the form of that vine and, and the leaf. What do you think the purpose is of ayahuasca? Because it, it's spreading all around the world mm -hmm. so rapidly. It's, it's surpassed the law. I mean, it's already all over the United States, mm -hmm. whether the government wants it here or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it seems like it has an agenda of its own. Yes. <laughs> what do you think that is? I, I think it's Mother Nature fighting back kind of one person at a time. For sure. It's, it's a technology, and she's, she's having a conversation. And I believe um, back in the day, um, the universe, God, whatever we like to call it, Buddha, Allah, Krishna, whatever the name is that's on the door for you, uh, I call it God. I believe that God, the universe, was birthing these way showers, right? So they'd be like, boom, there's a Jesus. Boom, there's a Martin Luther King. Boom, there's a Gandhi. Boom, there's a Mother Teresa. There, there's a Nelson Mandela. There's a, like, all over. I think they would birth these way showers, these people that would, would, would point the way and say, hey, I know everybody's walking that way, but let's try love, right? And I believe that the universe was doing that uh, according to how it was necessary. And at this point in human history, if we don't get it right, Mother Nature will shake us off of this planet. There will be a time where humans aren't on here if we don't turn the ship. So I believe that, that, that Aya, the medicine, is popping up everywhere as, as an uh, alarm system. She's saying, hey guys, you better wake up. And here, I'm here for you. There is nothing but love. You can have everything you want. You can play your sports. You can do all of that stuff. And you can do it from love. You can be gangster. You can be dope. You can be like ridiculously amazing and do it from love. You can have your governments. You can have all of the stuff you want. You can clean your oceans and you can do it from love. And that is a reminder over and over and over again. And I believe that's why I uh, and any other plant medicines are popping up everywhere because the people are waking up because we have to. They are birthing way showers like yourself, like myself, everywhere to hold the flag for humanity. And I, I think that ayahuasca, I definitely agree with you. I think that that's, that's the insights I get is that it's just trying to turn around the course of humanity as rapidly as possible. Mm -hmm. And you see it in people who go down there and try it. We, there are some bankers who go down and come back, and now all of a sudden they're not investing in coal. They're investing in socially responsible companies yep. or – or uh, other people I was down there with who maybe worked for investment banks and now mm -hmm. are focusing on plant medicines. Mm -hmm. and, and it's such, or that soap opera star who worked for Days of Our Lives. I don't know if you remember his story, but he went down and he drank ayahuasca and apparently he had really profound visions that his job was just dumbing down America. <laughs> oh, wow. So he, when he came back, he, he quit. And he wow. was a huge star on Days of Our Lives. Yeah. And then he quit in and he said that he was just filling people's minds with trash and he called his fans effing idiots and, mm, and left. Yeah. <laughs> so it's wow. pretty dramatically transforming people's lives. That's trippy. And, and yeah, it's just, um, and, and it just reiterates to me 
how important and necessary these medicines are mm-hmm. for people to be able to access. Yeah. The, what's I forget what it, what the guy's name is because I'm not that well versed. But uh, let that food be thy medicine. Um, I forget who says that. Um, but I don't see ayahuasca or any other plant medicines different than I see a, a, a salad. I think they all have a purpose, and some of them are a little stronger. Some of them are a little more, you know, eye opening, and some are just serve, you know, the body, and that's it. And I've been in ceremonies where there have been kids. I've been in ceremonies where there's 90-year-olds. I've been in ceremonies in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, oh, I will say this. 2012, when the world was supposed to end, I was in a, um, in a teepee in the middle of Joshua Tree with 40 other people. And we were in a ceremony, and um, this particular woman was doing this Native American chant on a frame drum. And everybody was, you know, singing along with her. And she was like, and she's making this sound. And I was sitting in the back of the teepee. And all of a sudden, we, we were hearing the sound, but it wasn't in the teepee. But it was like the same tone. And then everybody started looking over at me. And I was like, why are they looking at me? Well, they weren't looking at me. They were looking at the coyotes behind me that were back there chanting with us. Wow. We called them in. And they were behind the teepee singing the same song. And to me, that was, that was one of those moments where I was like, I get it. This is not just for us. This is for us. Like mm. all of us, all living beings who chose to be here at this particular time. It's not just the humans that this medicine is speaking to and through. It's, it's the elephants. It's the ants. It's the slugs. It's, the, it's everything. You know? It's time. And it's so vital to to go with your heart and what you think is right. Big time. You know, if you feel a calling for the medicine, entertain that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. follow what you think is right. Um, I I do believe, like you do, that that these are are just like plants that are in a salad. How how is a mushroom different than a cucumber, mm-hmm. or ayahuasca different than spinach? Mm-hmm. It it's a plant, and um and I think it's a human rights tragedy that that these plants aren't being given to everybody. And, and that's why I started the show and started the website just to try to raise more awareness so people know that these do exist, especially if they've tried all kinds of healing and nothing else has worked, mm-hmm. that there are other options out there. You just really have to be active Big time. and seeking them out. Big time. It's, it's, it's necessary. And, and the thing is, and I say this and I'll say it all for the rest of my life, it is a door, not the only door. Mm-hmm. So, Whatever, whatever's calling, you know, and you'll know, we always know there's that still small voice. You're like, okay, I hear you. I'm still going to do that, but I hear it. And sometimes, not even sometimes for me, I, I like to practice listening to this one, you know? So. And so for people who can't access the plants, mm-hmm. uh, and I get that all the time from people, and they're like, well, why are you, sh- it's like you're dangling a carrot, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and I need healing, and I can't, I don't know where to get mushrooms, or mm-hmm. I can't afford to go down to Peru to try ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. I, I try to remind them that there are other ways that don't, they may not be quite as intense, but there are other ways that don't involve ingesting plants where you can still find this kind of yeah. healing. What has been most effective for you um, to really, that really 
that you feel like it's really cathartic, that really helps you heal, keeps you uh, mm-hmm. on your toes, keeps you following the right path in life? Surfing. Surfing. The ocean. Doing anything in the ocean always cleanses me. Um, getting out in nature. Sweat lodges are huge. And that doesn't, you can have that in your backyard. Um, so, but particularly for me, whenever I enter the ocean, no matter where I am, whether I'm in India, LA, or wherever, I've, I've entered the ocean all over the world at this point. I'm going to Africa this year um, to do the same, and Puerto Rico next week to do the same. And um, there's something about the water that cleanses. You know, I feel baptized. Um, and we've been told that, 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 that medicine comes in the form of a pill. And you take the pill, and the pill gets rid of the thing. Um, but that's just dealing with the surface level of it. That's dealing with the, with the behavior and not the cause. And I find that if, if, if somebody wants to truly heal themselves, wants to really get in there, that they should deal with the, with the, with the cause. And the cause is usually some, has something to do with being so stressed out that the body starts breaking things in order to let you know. It's a signal. It's knocking on your door. Oh, you're not going to pay attention to me? Cool, I'm going to give you this. Oh, you're really not going to pay attention? I'm going to make sure that cancer goes everywhere. And it's just reminding us over and over again, live, play, be merry. It's the reason why if at this point right now, if if a baby or a puppy magically appeared on this table, both of us would go, oh, right? Because they're in their bliss. And that thing, mirror neurons, our mirror neurons fire off because we know that's us. Underneath all of the jobs and the mortgages and all of the scary stuff and the divorces and the who I've been and bankruptcy and the people I've hurt and all of those stories, underneath all of those stories is that, is that bliss. And if you want to, to actually leave this life with some of that, you can, but you're going to have to choose it. You're going to have to choose it. And one way to do that is to enter into nature. One way to do that is to be still and know that I am God, to be silent, to go within, to meditate. Another way to do that is to, is to um, drink ayahuasca or different plant medicines. Another way to do that is to be in community. Another way to do that is to find everything funny. <laughs> Seriously. Like, you can't be... Two th- physics. Two things cannot um, occupy the same space at the same time. Right? That's one of the laws of physics. So if I am literally laughing, that's all that can be there. Right? And what we appreciate appreciates. So we're all just energy in a space. So if I keep making my energy blissful, then that's all that can exist in this shell. You guys following me? <laughs> Such a beautiful thought to end on. Yeah. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing all your insights. And I... Because so many people are just stuck and, mm-hmm. and they want ways to get out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of the knowledge you've shared today has really helped people and will at least give them tools where, where they can feel empowered. Your life is yours. Mm-hmm. It is in your hands. Your feelings are yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the situation you're in is because of you and the choices you've made. Yes. And despite what the news says and how the news tries to divide us and make you feel disempowered, you do have the power 100% to change your life coming from two of us who do not work nine to five jobs. Mm-mm, I never have. <laughs> <laughs> and are really following our creative passions. Mm-hmm. 
How can people find out more about you, Preston, if they want to, uh, you have some terrific videos on YouTube, really inspirational videos, Thank you. a website. How can they find out more about The Love Mob PrestonSmiles.com, thelovemob.org, at PrestonSmiles on everything social media. You can find me anywhere on social media, and I use it for one thing and one thing only, and that is to uplift, ignite, and inspire everyone, including myself. So if you want some, some more reset me um, and, and from a different angle, hit me up. You'll find Ember stuff on my page. You'll find everybody's stuff. Um, yeah, that's right. it. <laughs> Keep freaking Thank loving. Thank you, Preston. Yeah. It was so amazing to have you on. Thank you. Yeah. And, and for those of you out there that want to learn more about this show or discuss it, you can head to our forums at reset.me and we will have a forum just for Preston shows. You can discuss some of the advice <laughs> that he gave. Also, if you want to learn more about these natural medicines and therapies and inspirational people who are carving their own paths in their lives, head to reset.me. Thank you. Boom.